Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan Schuler, and welcome to the Fortress of Truth, where we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein by the grace of God. Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Praise the Lord. Well, I believe this is our fourth part now, talking about the love walk, and we're going to continue talking about this. You know, the walking in love is so important. As we're going to see here, it is one of the primary ways that we can check up and see if we're living the way that the Lord wants us to live. You know, one minister, I heard him talking about this, talking about walking in love, and he said, you know, because Galatians says, faith works by love. So he was talking about faith working by love. And he said, if your faith's not working, check your, check your dipstick. You might be two quarts low on love. You know, that's kind of a humorous way of putting it. But it's, if you think about it, it's, it's a good analogy. You, if you have a car, you may have the gas tank full. You may have all the other fluids full. But if you don't have any oil, you're going to burn your engine up fast. And it's the same way with walking in love. 1 Corinthians 13 says that if you have all faith, if you operate in all the spiritual gifts that are available, if you speak in all these different languages, if you hear from God and you have this prophetic anointing, but you don't have love, then you're going to burn yourself up and you're going to burn others up around you. But when these things are operated in love, as Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love, then you can edify yourself, build yourself up, and encourage and exhort and build up all the other believers around you. And the Lord can use you in mighty, mighty ways. So it's so important that we walk in the love of God like we're supposed to. Now, our main text has been Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look there again. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then also in the NIV, it says the same passage, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, NIV, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As I'm studying this, I'm seeing more and more how important that phrase is there. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
It says in Romans 5 that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, I I shared with you a couple lessons ago that Brother Keith Moore, my spiritual father, he was was studying along the lines of, of walking in love, and the Lord showed him that the greatest expression of love is giving. So my point in bringing that up is God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, we were still his enemies. We weren't this amazing, righteous, perfect person. We were sinners, but God loved us anyway. And he demonstrated that love for us by doing something. What did he do? He gave. The greatest expression of love is giving. So when we see this here, where he says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, that's how Jesus demonstrated his love for us. It says Jesus loved us and he gave himself up for us. He sacrificed his pleasures, his privileges as the Son of God, and came and lived as a man on the earth. And he did it willingly. It wasn't like this this obligation, this drudgery that he felt like he had to do. He did it willingly, gladly, out of love. And that's how we are supposed to walk in love toward others. Let's look over real quickly at Hebrews chapter 12. I think you need a scripture about that. Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus did come down and he did do everything that he did willingly, gladly. And he would do it all over again just for you. He loves you that much. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Now, This may come as a shock to some of you, but Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11. (laughs) I'm smart. I I graduated top of my class. But the thing is, I was homeschooled, so I was the only one in my class. But anyway, that's beside the point. (laughs) Anyway, Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is talking about what we, it's what we call the hall of fame of faith. So, you know, it talks about all these different examples of faith in God. Uh, it talks about Abel, talks about Enoch, talks about Noah, Abraham, Sarah, um, and all these different people that we, we're familiar with from the Old Testament that are held up to us as examples and illustrations of faith in God real, effective faith in God. And so then it goes on. It talks about Moses. It talks about uh, the children of Israel under the leadership of Joshua going in and taking the land. And then he he gets down and he says, you know, I I have more examples I could give you, but I don't have enough time. Uh, I think every preacher has that issue sometimes. But anyway, 
He says, you know, he, and he lists off several more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel. Um, and he, he also, re- not by name, he also references Daniel, Isaiah, and some of the others. So he's getting through all of this, talking about all these examples of faith in the past. Then he gets down to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, what is he saying? We're surrounded by all of these faith men and women, these witnesses of faith. They ran their race, so now they're up in the grandstands watching us run our race, and they're cheering us on. Come on, trust God, trust God. You can make it, you can make it. You know, you, you probably won't hear them saying that, but if you read the pages of the scripture, you can see that. Especially in the New Testament, you can see that the Holy Spirit is urging you on through these examples that he's given us. Come on, you can do it, you can make it. That's what he's talking about here. So he's saying, since we're surrounded with all these great faith witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So why am I reading this to you? Notice here, Jesus did what he did. He endured the cross. He dealt with the shame and the reproach and the discomfort of the whole experience of leaving heaven, living on the earth as a man, and then the the whole experience of the mock trial, being crucified, dying, going to hell on our behalf, and then being raised from the dead. He went through all of that willingly, gladly. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And how could he have this joy? It was because of his love for us. He wasn't focused on the situations at hand. He wasn't focused on how painful the experience on the cross was, how, how unfair and unjust the trial was that where, they, where the Jewish authorities tried him and then the Roman authorities tried him. He didn't focus on all that. He didn't focus on the, the, the discomfort of having to go down into hell and, and be there for three days and three nights. It says over in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, that he was in the belly of the earth. That would be hell for three days and three nights. He didn't focus on all of that. Instead, he saw by faith, he saw you and me standing here, sitting here today, whatever you're doing, do, me doing what I'm doing. He saw us. And he saw that one day, each of us, if you're a believer, he saw you would accept him and that you would be saved from going to hell. You wouldn't have to because of what he did. And you get to go to heaven and and live, spend eternity with the Lord there. 
And that gave him joy. He was able to look past the situation at hand with all of its discomfort, all of its anxiety and and frustration and pain, and instead focus on the joy that was before him. And why could he have this joy? Because he loves us. So, because of his love, he was willing to give up and sacrifice whatever he needed to in order to win us. And that is the God kind of love. That is the way that we are supposed to walk in love toward others. We are supposed to willingly give up and sacrifice whatever we need to out of a heart of love for other people. Now, we've been looking for a little while now, the last couple lessons, we've been looking in John chapter 15. We're going to look there again today. You might say, why do you keep reading the same scriptures over and over? Well, no one has ever exhausted all the light and truth out of any verse of scripture. We could preach on John 3.16 from now until Jesus comes, and we'd never exhaust all the light and truth out of that one verse. So it's good to be reminded from time to time of the things that the Lord is showing us. Plus, I think you get it better. The more times you hear it, the the better it sinks in for you. At least it works that way for me. John chapter 15, and beginning with verse 11. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The greatest expression of love is giving. Jesus said, greater love, no one has greater love than this, if you lay down your life for your friends. If you truly love someone with the God kind of love, you're going to be willing to lay down your own desires, what you might want, what might make you the most comfortable if it means helping them, winning them, and benefiting them. That's a heart of love. That's true God, the the true God kind of love. Being willing to give up something of your own for someone else. And it's not, the God kind of love isn't sacrificing because it's like, it's compelled to. It says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're not supposed to give out of coercion. The King James says, don't give of necessity. Don't give out of coercion. Don't feel like, don't give just because you feel like you have to give because your heart's not in it. With God, it's always about the heart. If your heart's not in it, you could give everything. 
and it's not, it's going to profit you nothing. First Corinthians 13 says, you can, you can give your whole substance, everything you own. You can give, the scripture even says you can give your body up to be burned. But if you're not doing it from a heart of love, you didn't gain a thing. See, with God, it's always about the heart. But if you truly have a heart of love, if you're truly letting the love of God lead you, then whatever sacrifices may be necessary, you're going to do it willingly, gladly, joyfully. And you won't have to try and remember to do it because it'll just come naturally to you. Let's look at an example of this. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus was giving us an illustration here of the way, or several illustrations actually, of how the kingdom of God operates. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. He's giving us examples here. He says, again, in other words, here's another example. The kingdom of God is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now there's a lot of eth, 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 E-T-H. There's a lot of King James English in this one. But what he's saying is, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, that someone is walking across a field one day and they might trip and stumble and like, whoa, what was that? They go back and they dig a little bit and it's this amazing treasure. It's this extremely valuable treasure. And so they, they cover it back up, you know, and, and hide it so somebody else doesn't find it and they go home and they liquidate. They sell everything they have so that they can go and buy that field because they know there's something valuable in that field. But notice what he says here. He went home, he sold all that he had from his joy. He says, he, he finds the treasure, he, he hides it, and for joy thereof, goes and sells everything he has. The Young's literal translation says it this way. It says, uh, the kingdom of heaven, likened to treasure. When you, f- you find it, you hide it. And from his joy, he goes and sells all he has. From his joy. His joy motivated him to go and sell everything he had. Why? Because he recognized what was truly valuable. He, he weighed his options. He saw what he had And he saw what this treasure had to offer, how valuable this treasure was. He saw, he thought, okay, my house is worth this. My car is worth this. My clothes are worth that. But this treasure is worth more than all of that put together. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be smart here. I'm going to get rid of the things that aren't so valuable. And I'm going to go get the thing that is most valuable. And he did it joyfully. He didn't cry. He wasn't going to the bank crying about it saying, oh, I found this treasure in this field. And oh, 
It's this amazing treasure. It's great treasure, but I gotta sell everything I have in order to get to it. Oh, it's just so awful. He wasn't doing that. He did it willingly. He did it gladly. He did it joyfully. Why? Because he saw what was really valuable. Let's keep going. Verse 45. Again, here's another example. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this is talking about a merchant. This is somebody who knows what they're looking for. You know, they recognize something valuable when they see it. He, he, he probably has a trained eye for this kind of thing. And he finds one pearl, not a strand, one pearl that is so valuable. He looks at it, he studies it, and he's thinking, man, this is one amazing pearl. It's perfect. It's so valuable. And so he goes and he does the same thing this other man did. He went home, he sold everything he had because he saw the value in one pearl. He recognized what was truly valuable and he went and invested everything he had in that. And that's the way that we need to be. See, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about value. How much value do you put on other people? How much value do you put on yourself, on your own things? And when we recognize, um, it's, it's kind of like those old-fashioned scales, you know, where, where they have the, the two little baskets and you put something in one basket and see if it outweighs the other. We need to realize that other people, other things, first off, the things of God, His Word, His people, and then others, the hearts of others, all of this far outweighs our own things, our own desires, our own likes, our own comforts, our own preferences. When we get to the point where we're willing to sacrifice whatever we need to in order to bless someone else, to build someone else up, to help them, that is truly walking in the love of God. Because that's what God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. Like we read over in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus did, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, he was able to think so little of all of that. Now, doesn't mean that the situation wasn't real, it was very real, but he was looking to something off in the, in the distance that he was seeing by faith. He saw us, those of us who would believe in him, and he recognized we are so much more valuable to him than his comfort, than his privileges, that he was willing to lay that down in a split second. He laid it down willingly, gladly, for joy thereof, because he loved us so much. 
And that's the way that we need to be. Now let's look over at Mark chapter 10 and we'll see another example. Mark chapter 10 is talking about the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what what do I need to do that I can inherit eternal life? I want to go all the way with you. And Jesus says, really? Do you now? Well, how about this commandment? How about that commandment? And the the man says, yeah, I've done done that. I've done that. I've done all that. I'm still still, uh, lacking something. And Jesus said, one thing you're lacking. Verse 21, Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. What do you know about that? Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, of all, all these things, he only was lacking one thing. Oh yeah, but it was the biggest thing. One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. The one thing he was lacking, he was rich, he was young, he had all sorts of things. Or actually, I should say, all sorts of things had him. And that was the one thing he lacked. He had his value misplaced. He was fully trusting in all of his things. And he thought, oh man, all these things are so valuable. And it was coming in between him and going all the way with God. Notice what his response was. Verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He was sad and went away. He didn't didn't follow after Jesus, at least not in this instance. Now, we don't don't know everything. Everything's not written down in the scripture. He might have had a change of heart and come back later. But in this moment here, he was sad and he went away. He didn't follow after Jesus. He went away. Why? Because he didn't see the value in following God all the way. Instead, he saw value in his possessions, in what he had. But notice what Jesus says here. Let's drop down here to verse 28. Jesus starts talking about this and he's explaining, you know, the principle here. It's important for you to put your trust in the right things. Verse 28, then Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. In other words, he's saying, hey, Jesus, we did it. What what about us? And Jesus said, Jesus answered and said, verse 29, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. 
What is he saying? If you're willing to sacrifice, to lay down something that's temporary for something that's eternal, which would be the kingdom of God, his word, his things, and his people, then you're going to be investing in the things that are truly valuable. And this is a primary way in which we can honor God is by valuing the things that he values. And that is walking in love. Glory to God. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, be sure and follow us so that you never miss an episode of The Fortress of Truth. And I encourage you, share this podcast. Let other people know about it. Share it with your friends, with your family. And be sure and join us again next time as we continue talking about the love walk. We'll see you next time on The Fortress of Truth.